Magic Hour was recorded at the VCA on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Australia has the oldest unbroken storytelling tradition on earth, and that's something I'm humbled by and pay my deepest respects to. Welcome to Magic Hour, a podcast about screen culture. Makers, doers, thinkers, coming at you from the VCA, part of Melbourne University. My name's Ben Michael. I'm an academic, a screenwriter and a musician. And part of our mission statement at the Victorian College of the Arts is to share information with the public. The Film and TV School, over its 50-year career, it's the oldest film school in Australia, has produced a bunch of really amazing students who have gone on to incredible careers. So often we'll be talking to them. The other thing that happens at the VCA is we have filmmakers come by and talk to the students. We often record those and they're full of amazing insights into how film and TV gets made. So we'll be sharing them with you as well. And today, we have a cinematographer. Adam Akapor graduated from the Film and TV School here about 15, 20 years ago and has gone on to become one of the most in-demand cinematographers in the world. You may have seen his stunning work on the Australian feature Animal Kingdom. You may have seen his incredible cinematography on the New Zealand TV show Top of the Lake or my personal favourite, his work on the first season of True Detective. Cinematographers don't get nearly enough love. We're always talking to the actors, God bless them, or we're talking to the directors, God bless them too. But rarely do we talk to the people who shoot the content. And in my humble opinion, they're easily as important as the people that we spoke to before. How a film looks, how a cinematographer can bring the mood and the theme of the script to the screen is unbelievably important. And Adam is verging on being a genius at doing that. Adam was interviewed by my colleague, Annabelle Murphy, a excellent human being, and she fired off a bunch of really fantastic questions at Adam, who's a very humble but very knowledgeable man. And I can't wait to share the chat that they had in October this year when Adam dropped into the school to say hello to his old lecturers. Here's Adam Akapor. So actually I dropped, I made a showreel and um, dropped it around some of the directors that I liked downstairs, you know, in their little pigeonholes. Uh, which is fantastic. Most people don't do that, Adam, you know, so Justin saw that. Yeah. I mean, Justin then that year went on to have his film in uh, Cannes, which immediately blossomed his career and Khan is a very loyal mm -hmm. festival yeah. so once you get a, a short film into Khan you're yeah. quite likely to get yeah. a, a later feature mm -hmm. in, into Khan. I'm going to just say something that I remember your because I taught you in first year I think yeah and I remember your first film I actually really genuinely remember your first mm. film that you did with Michael Weisler mm -hmm. Michael yeah, Weisler yeah. was the director yeah I'll never forget it because it was a black and white, mm -hmm. a car travelling down a road, yeah. and it had a stark burnt tree against the sky. Mm -hmm. And I remember going, this is the first thing I've seen from first year, and I remember going, fuck, that mm. is incredible, the cinematography. This looks yeah. amazing. But yeah. I just, I would never forget yeah. your first yeah, moment I'm, here. I'm it, was, it struck me as I thought, wow, the guy's going places, yeah. truly. I mean, that's what's great about this place, you know, like you just have the tools and you just get out there. And I think I did something like 
70 short films before I shot my first feature. Yeah. I knew I always took out a new bit of equipment for every shoot, you know, like what does this lens do, you know, like I got to know the people at Panavision, I got to know the storeroom. I mean, someone gave me a great tip when I came in, you know, he said, you got to know the store manager. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's so you. Um, <laughs> Given that we're here at VCA, yeah. why don't you just talk to us a little bit about if and what VCA helped you learn mm-hmm. and then just go on to the, the genesis that brings you to this chair now, having shot films and TV that have won you two Emmy Awards and, you know, you're in great demand in, across the world as a cinematographer. Yeah, I was actually a pretty um, shy kid, like I was pretty introverted, so, um, you know, there's many ways to get being in the industry. You know, I wouldn't say what's best for anyone else, but for me, coming to film school was really important because I was that natured and, you know, it was a big deal for me at some point to work my way up just being the best DP at VCA, you know, like that felt great meeting people here and then, you know, that gave me a, a knowledge of, like, climbing a ladder and then you know the next thing was getting out and you know working in Melbourne and becoming known and becoming one of the best in Melbourne and then then one of the best in Australia yeah yeah was it a strategic like did you have in your mind one step at a time I'm going to stay in Melbourne I'm going to become known in Melbourne and then I'm going to attack Australia like was there no I think what works well for me is that I don't really waste words like when I work with my friends I only speak up if I really feel something's important. They know if I said something that it's worth listening to, I guess, you know, so. But there's some of my best friends that I've been working with all these years and the work kind of takes you around and you're so busy with such a small group of people and then you never see them again when you rap and then... Justin very much works with the same people, same actor, same DP, yeah. same producer, mm-hmm. quite a lot. Yeah. And would that be your preferred method? It's just better, like, the first time you work with someone, you've got to impress them. People still put you under the microscope when you first work with them and they won't trust you. Like, I think there's a lot of bad DPs out there with, like, big egos and who make it hard for the rest of us who just want to make good projects, you know, like a lot of directors are very defensive, you know. And so, tell me if I'm wrong, but I imagine as a DP, is there a bit of a difference between working with someone like Justin or Jane Campion on a sort of a... Well, actually, Jane's was a TV series too. I'm thinking, I'm wondering how different television is to a feature film in terms of the role of the DP and how much you get to input... Yeah, I mean, I just think every director's different. I mean, actually, the dynamic, I feel like, never really changes because there's never quite enough money for how ambitious the project is. Like, the producers are always going to make it for as cheap as they can. So even like Assassin's Creed, we want to do all these sequences that were in the script and we want the way we want to do them, which we were still fairly inexperienced, so they weren't, like, the most expensive ideas, you know, but, like... Even there, we were making compromises and cuts and not having enough time that we wanted. And that's one thing that I think's interesting about the way I work. I never know how I'm going to light a shot till I'm setting it up. Like I know the framing-ish, but I won't light it till I set the camera up. And then... Would you have a lighting plan? No. I mean, we pre... Forget everything you've been taught, folks. <laughs> um, we pre-rig, you know, so, like, when I'm pre-rigging, I'm just giving myself options, like making sure there's power run to 
every window if I want to put something overhead there's the riggings in place but first I'll set up the camera and I'll see what the natural light is doing and then usually just see one side will be stronger light than the other side and I'll enhance that side as a key side a little bit of feel soften it down until it doesn't feel like a film light if there was one process that probably is what I do most of the time, it would be that. That would be an Adam Akapur yeah. general process. Yeah. I still go into every setup knowing exactly. You don't know technically what you're going to do. Do you have a sense of creatively yeah. what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, for sure. Can you talk us through how, like, can you think of a scene that might be a good example? I mean, I love colour. I think one cool thing he talked about was exposure being a tool, like one thing that I do that I find really helpful on the first page of every script that I work on, I write down all the tools of cinematography. So there's like colour, there's contrast, there's transitions, there's aperture, there's focus, there's some other ones. But if you just think about all the various characteristics of cinematography, you can then like go, okay, what's in this narrative? You know, what's, what's this story about? How can I use this tool to enhance this narrative? For me, your cinematographer has something beyond normal cinematography, which is it has this kind of soul to it. Mm-hmm. It has real beauty and a real aesthetic that such a lot of cinematography doesn't have. And I'm trying to get to why that is with you. Mm. Like, how does that work inside you? I mean, it is cliche, but pretty narrative-based. Like, And I think coming to the school helped a lot with narrative structure. I mean, I still think about like the seven steps... If I'm going to do a film, I'll analyse it in with those seven steps, the three acts. How does these characters change? How can I change with my work to help an audience feel that, you know, enhance the, the storytelling, the narrative? So a lot of the time it's just being open. And one thing I love definitely is working with actors, you know, so how they're going to interpret a scene can be so different to how you envisage it when you read it you know so you always have to be open to to changing how you're going to do it because you Mm. might have seen it like this and then they do it like that and it's a different thing you know so Mm. how do these things come to you Mm. Um, I mean I do reference the work sometimes like I still think I picture things pretty boring like when I read them for the first time you know so sometimes it helps a lot just to go into the, the various archives and just get a starting point, like to start with something that excites you. But I don't like copying stuff. The director I just worked for, he was very organised. He was like, I want this to be like the Kill Bill shot and stuff. But I had a problem with that. Like, that, wouldn't be yeah. your, that wouldn't be your style yeah. of working. The immortality in filmmaking, I think, is um, if you can become the dictionary version of this or that, like the genre, you know? Like if you can create the work that when people are referencing... If it's your work, then that's how you kind of become immortal, you know, because... Yeah. And it happens like, you know, like I do lots of commercials and they do these 100-page treatments these days and stuff, but it's all the same images all the time, you know. Do you have an intellectual intention to be bold, like to be bold in your work? I mean, there's so many sequences of Macbeth that have that quality. Mm. Like the images are like 
literally emblazoned because they're so fiery mm-hmm. in the audience's mind. It's um, very bold mm-hmm. uh, yeah. visual visuals, and yeah. you know that doesn't happen by accident. Mm-hmm. Well, I presume yeah, like it I said, doesn't. You know, like Justin loves that. Like he's all about pushing the envelope. You know, like so. Justin and you worked um, together. Was it more his feel or your? Well, that's feel? his energy. As a DP, you kind of need to learn to love different energies you know like there's other filmmakers who are more classic more conservative you know and you need to be able to really get into that i've worked with directors and they've asked me to watch films and I've, it's really been a struggle to begin with you know like what do they see in these films you know but yeah when you work with different directors it allows you different um opportunities so that's one thing i really enjoy about being a dp um like justin is really uh, open to pretty bold ideas, and that's what he wants, actually. Like, I can remember, actually, on one of the first days, I wanted to shut it down. He was just like, this just looks mediocre, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it just didn't have enough, like, punch for him. And, you know, like, we had limited resources. You know, like, that whole fire at the end thing. The Army's meant to have, I think it's 10,000 people, and uh, we had 35, so... 35 yeah. people. Yeah. So uh, that's that. why there's that much smoke. And, um, yeah, right. You know, is, it, is it really why there's yeah. that much smoke? And the burnt bits flowing through, yeah, they're really I mean, beautiful. Yeah, we love love the aesthetic in the end, you know, like it was kind of a thing in pre-production where we were discussing the challenges and um, kind of had the idea to do it, but we were out in the open in just outside of London where it is really windy and in my mind I just imagined all the smoke would just disappear, but yeah, yeah we did some tests in pre-production and it sort of hung around and I don't think you're allowed to do it now like use the black smoke back then we um, sort of had white smoke like 360 degrees around the set and it was just pumping the how whole time how many machines did you have I couldn't recall there was probably like six you know smoke machines going through it's called tube of death it's a uh, big long plastic tube that they just poke holes in every like five four or five feet so the smoke machine's going through a fan right. into this tube that can be like 100 feet long. Right. And um, the smoke kind of comes out all of the, the holes. And so we surrounded our set with that because no matter where the wind changed, it would still blow in for us. And then uh, we had these black, literally in every shot, there's people with smoke machines hiding themselves with yeah. the smoke, you know, like yeah. in, the, in the shot. So there was, he had to cut around you know, special effects guys with smoke machines in every shot, you know, like pick this little bit, you know. I mean, um, to, when I watch that and I go, because I think the budget was about 20 million, right? Well, it was 8 million pounds, so yeah, it probably is 20 15 million, million yeah. 15, 16, yeah. 17 million. Yeah. I mean, that is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It's phenomenal. And four of it went to um, Michael and Marion as well, so really? it was 4 million production. Right, so the actual production was about. I don't know. Yeah. I can't do maths. Yeah. Twelve. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that is phenomenal to yeah. have pulled that off for that. I mean, I to remember, pull it off um, at all, even if you had a budget of $100 million, yeah. I would still be going, that is a phenomenal mm. achievement in cinematography. Yeah. I remember in pre-production with Justin, he, you know, like, it was not a good scene, you know, because it was, in the script, it was hundreds of people, and actually Justin... Uh, did the film because one of the producers was like, how's it going to feel when you have these hundreds of people out on the battlefield? The producer not knowing either that we, you know, how much was affordable. I remember asking Justin, like, what percentage do you put on 
us pulling this off, like being proud of yeah. this film at the yeah. end. And he said 2%. <laughs> um, and it was just one of those productions where Lady Luck was with us a lot yeah. of the time. And, um, yeah. I will circle round to your sort of genesis and coming, you know, how you yep. left from here and got to there. But while we're on Macbeth and working with Justin, mm-hmm. Justin Curzel, who's the director of Macbeth, also the director of Snowtown mm-hmm. and the director of Assassin's Creed. You yeah. shot all those films yeah. and you met here at VCA. Mm-hmm. How, how would you describe your working relationship with Justin? Like how do you creatively come to a point where you go, in Macbeth, at the end, I want them to be really red? Mm. Um, I mean, Justin's a super special friend and director. I think we just have a very common background, you know, Eastern European heritage and socioeconomic like I think we kind of really knew each other from an intrinsic kind of point of view when we met and just had the opportunity to work with him on some commercials here actually to begin with and it wasn't easy like he was kind of like flirting a bit as in you, what do you mean like I'm not sure we talk about you jobs or... yeah but then like I wouldn't get it and then right. um, <laughs> eventually um I guess someone pulled out or something, probably. <laughs> um, and I did like a cricket commercial that was all in phantom slow motion, and it turned out well enough. Yeah, we're just very close friends, you know. Let's just move to Top of the Lake quickly. Mm-hmm. How was it working with Jane Campion? Uh, I think she and Justin are probably two from reputation. I, mean, I know Justin a little bit, I don't know Jane, but like, they seem to be quite intense people. Would mm-hmm. that be fair? I mean, they're incredibly detailed and, and specific and, like, know what they like and know, know the strings to pull to get it and they're not afraid of people not liking them in order to get it, which is a good quality, you know, I think. Because at the end of the day, unless you're there making something good, it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, to me, they're absolute sweetheart. How would you work with Jane Campion, for example? Like, would that be a different process than with Justin? Like... How might that look in terms of creating the vision? It's really individual personalities, you know, like, I mean, honestly, Justin and I played a ton of table tennis, like, in prep for Macbeth. We had it in the office, like, and we would have these tournaments, but we'd be talking about the film. They thought we were incredibly unprofessional, and and we were, I guess, but, you know, it it helped us, I think, and then... Would either, would Jane bring images to you? Yeah, Jane's a big drawer, but... So she'll storyboard stuff just to get, get it rolling inside of her mind but she you know she's never like do it like this you know she's so she gives quite a bit of freedom for you as well yeah and she can also be quite prescriptive but generally she wants people to collaborate but she you know she loves walking um, hiking so you know we did tons of hiking in prep and just talked about loosely about stuff more about life you know like through the environment that you're going to be shooting mm -hmm. but yeah people have different theories like was that show was really interesting because Jane and Garth are quite different filmmakers like and mm. both real valid theories like Jane's more like pyramid theory like let's set up this frame let's design it first like get the, the right production design in there bring in the actor the actor you know will work for the image you know like this is what looks better this is what looks worse you know like let's get it looking perfect like as good as possible and then Garth is more chaos theory, which everything's spontaneous, but it's like... Right, so know, it's about actor-driven, is it? Yeah, right? don't tell anyone anything. Like, let's just start filming something. And then, I mean, every every film's different. Yeah, like I did one film with Derek C. in France, and he's 
He's like a method director, you know, like he, he literally doesn't want anyone to know anything before you start filming. I mean, the process we took was basically pick a corner to put the camera in and start filming. And literally, the actors would walk on set and do whatever they wanted, warm themselves up, at some point start doing the scene, maybe do the scene four times in a row in four different places. Can I ask you, am I imagining, are we imagining it, or, or, or is there a thing about Australian cinematographers in America? Like, is there a, like, Australian cinematographers are hot? Are hot? Um, and I don't mean yeah. necessarily physically. Yeah, I mean, you know I'm pretty um, superficial like that. So. <laughs> the thing is, I think, is that Australian conditions are really hard to work in because the sun's so harsh that once you learn tricks to get by here, it's easier elsewhere. And also, I think they like, you know, the exotic of like, oh, they're not American. It's like, you know, like, I got this French DP or, you know. But like Australian, it's like, you know, it's not that different, you know, like they're not, you know, like still communicating openly and it's not a struggle at all. There's not like a culture thing, you know, yeah. like it's just pretty straight up. So, I mean, to me, like those two things are... Um, I pretty... wonder if there's something about, like all the people that you've talked about and the DPs that I've known who've gone on to do, do well tend to be pretty relatively egoless. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, mean, I wonder if there's thing, a yeah. comparison yeah. between American DPs like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, my wife's American DP, but I don't know a lot of others, so I can't speak to their, to the ego of that so much, but definitely Australians are pretty down-to-earth, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, you know, like here, everyone helps in each department, you know. There, it's very, like, you, you get in trouble for helping people out, so... That's a union sort of thing, a, is it? Yeah. I'm just looking at Macbeth and other things. So how different, on the day, when you're in the thick of the shirt and you're looking at your video monitor, how close is that to what we're seeing on screen? In that case, it was pretty close. Like, we had build things called LUTs, which I assume you probably all know what are look-up Does tables. Does anybody know what LUTs are? Yes, they all do. So per scene, like we already had that fire look from tests we did in pre-production and that was just a lot that went on top. And the producer was like, he didn't like it. He was like, can we get out of this? And Justin and I both said, nah, it's burned in. I was like, yeah. So, I mean, for that one, from memory, we sort of had a cool look. And then, you know, it's tricky because... If you're outside and it's sunny versus overcast, it's so different. So yeah. I'll do a cold look that's for a high contrast situation and one for a low contrast. And I'll do a warm look for a high contrast and a low contrast. And then we had that fire one. Like a, There was a few scenes where we, want, we knew we wanted to do something different. And so they were their own lights as well. And as you're reading it. that script, are images going crazy in your mind as you're reading? Um... I mean, I try not to, like, have too much of an opinion when I meet a director because I like to think that I'm versatile and if he wants to do this very classic thing, I can do it, or if he wants to be run and gun, I can do it. And I don't like playing that guessing game where you sit down with them and they're like, how do you see it? And then you're supposed to guess what's in their head. Because they come with something in their head? Usually, mostly? they know what they want, you know. Because so. yeah. I've known directors who really don't know what they want visually. Right. Yeah. Have you? Yep, for sure. Like, I've worked with directors who don't want to know. Like, they're just like, 
one director who was just like, just don't have any gear on the set. You can do it all from outside or from above or whatever, but I want my actors to be able to go anywhere and I don't really, I don't really want to know what you're doing. Yeah. They're, they're all about <laughs> yeah. the actor yeah. and the performance, yeah. and they just want you to just handle that whole part of the film. And then do they, have you ever had the experience where, but that's not what I thought it was going to look like? You know, like I think production brings out the worst in people than the best in people, like yeah, everyone. And I love that about it. You know, you learn so much about yourself on every project. So, you know, I've been called everything under the sun and um, had some pretty dark days where some people I admired said less than flattering things. That you've got to be have a pretty thick skin and, you know, it's always turned around into something um, enjoyable. OK, well, let's throw it open. Who has a question they'd like to... Yes. Um... I, I mean, my question's mainly based around sort of, uh, I guess, sort of what your experience has been working with sort of DIT since, I guess, in early on being a DP, and just because I know it like, is quite a jarring aspect for a lot of people who mm. don't consider yeah. it necessarily, and especially since you're shooting digital. Like, how do you find mm. your relationship with that department and yeah. just kind of evolve? Mm. It's funny that. DIT I use a lot and Greg uses him a lot as well. He says Australians hate DITs because <laughs> Greg and I both pretty much like to our monitor on the set, you know, like and we don't spend a lot of time with them. Whereas a lot of DPs, I guess probably that come up in the US where they just sit with the DIT the whole day and they'll be changing stuff all day. But um, once I have my LUT, then I'll I would light it how I like it, you know what I mean? Like instead, and not be. There's so much, so many ways to change the image these days. There's too many. Like you can change any light to look any color, and you can change on the DIT suite. You can do You can change it. Like you gotta. To me, it's a lot simpler if you know I've set those parameters and then I'm doing it on the set with, yeah. with you know, with my monitor there. So. So it's more by eye. Yeah. Yeah, I like by I like generally I am just looking at the actor and the shot and then it's towards the end that I'll look at a monitor um, and see if anything needs a little tweak. But I've taught myself just to um, to do it by eye pretty much, yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I mean, but it's a super important role like um, and it's great when you need to fix something and you can do it on the set there. Another question from yes. Um, I was just wondering, on film like Snowtown, there's some really shocking moments in there. And I was mm. just wondering how that plays out for you and like, the process mm-hmm. um, leading into that. Mm. Yeah, the interesting thing about that film was um, I never laughed so much in my life. Like, um, it sounds super inappropriate, but like, I think it's just human nature to want to balance get some balance in your life Um, and Justin's hilarious so is Dan who played John Bunting and at the end of every day it would be super heavy on set but then we would all go and have a drink and and I never yeah it was hilarious like decompress yeah just find anything to laugh about and be stupid and um so I think that's how we coped with it um for the most part but, yeah, it was, it was an incredible process, you know. Like, when I think of that film, I always just picture us because Justin had the idea to do it in the real place and to use real people so that he wasn't sort of making it entertainment, you know, like making light of the subject. 
by making entertainment, you know, so. But, like, I still remember sitting in the car and was sitting outside of the supermarket, like, in that area, and just, like, it was the moment where we had to, like, go in and start approaching people and being like, oh, we're making a film about John Bunting, like, would you be interested in casting, you know, being in a casting? It took a minute to, to get out of the car. <laughs> brave, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. brave. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and he's really, like, I mean, it struck me when he was here as a student, his vision is very strong. Mm -hmm. Like, he's one of those people with an absolute vision. Yeah, he, he knows. He it. knows what he's looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. No, and was, you were pretty fresh out of situation. school. I mean, it wasn't, yeah. you had been working for that long. No. I mean, even weird stuff was going on, like, where we chose to film it was this real desolate area, but, like, the government were trying to, like, put in trees and stuff, like, before we could film it, like, to make it look nicer, you know, like, it just been neglected, this area, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's pretty interesting politics going on there. But, but to me, like, the, I love that scene, too, that, like, you know, artworks, they say they're never finished, they're only abandoned. Um, so to me, that cinematography is big on that because, like, you literally got, like, 20 minutes to set up your shot. So to me, um, the thing that I've learned to trust, which helps me a lot, is actually something I did at mentorship with Andrew Leslie on Lord of the Rings, and it's something that he talked about was just the fact that what you have in this industry is your taste. And so at the end of the day... It's up to me to say when I'm happy with a shot, you know, that we're going to film it now. So I don't need to be worried because I'm working under the pretense of my own taste, you know. So eventually it may take longer sometimes than others, but, you know, once I set up the shot and once I'm finding what excites me, then, um, then, then I'm the one who says, you know, like, OK, it's ready to be shot now, you know. So I didn't... What worried me in the beginning was the idea of being forced to shoot something that I didn't like. You know? And then, um, but having developed taste, you know, from watching tons of films here and meeting people and and, and ruining so many short films was um, meant that once I was in the industry, I had that's what I had, you know, that's what. And now you've got more power, so your taste actually, you can call it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Question behind. Um, yeah. Um. I was wondering, like, how would you describe your, like, working relationship with actors on set? Because I know that some directors don't like any other crew kind of messing with their process with actors. Mm. Yeah, like, like I said, I'm pretty mellow and kind of quiet, and I, I sort of develop pretty slowly, you know, like a... The one thing I do do, which, which I think is important, like, in pre-production, I'll, I'll tell them that I'm there, you know, to, to help them make their best work, you know, like... To, I think as a director too, like what you're trying to do is create a platform where everyone can do their best work, like whatever different people need different things, you know, but um, and it's hard to figure that out like a lot of the time. But um, so I'll, I'll go up to the actors in pre-production and I'll say like, you know, let me know if, you, if you're not happy with what you did in a shot or how you look or whatever, you know, just tell me, you know, we'll fix it and we'll, we'll do it till, till you're happy with it. And that's really powerful, I think, because they're... That's what their fear is, you know. If I was an actor, which I'm not, thank God, I would want to hear that. Mm. You know, so, I, yeah, like, I guess being sensitive and developing, you know, like the first day you might not shoot something, you know, you know, it might be a better way to shoot it, but you're not going to 
go in there like a bull, you know, like you're going to develop your relationship and then over time when they trust you, then you'll be able to, you know, like it's about winning mm. the war and not the battle sort of thing. And it's this, this exact comment that makes me go, I can see, absolutely, apart from your talent, I can see why directors want to work with you. And that's another thing Andrew said as well, was that, like, it doesn't matter how pretty your film is, if, if the performances aren't good, no one's going to watch it. Totally. And so, he, like, even on Lord of the Rings, which is not the most real situation, like, he would always pre-light the sets and make sure it looked like Middle-earth when the actors went on there, so they were feeling like yeah. they were in it um, from the moment that they arrived. Um, yeah. To me, like, it's way more exciting shooting performance than like sunsets or whatever, like seeing how an actor, a great actor can take some material and interpret it and like... And speaking of a great actor, I mean, how is it working with Michael Fassbender? I mean, yeah. is he sensational yeah. or what? I mean, all yeah, actors have different, I mean, he's got some sorcery going on, like um, yeah. it's because uh, he's a real kind of bloke, like he, he'll be joking around and then literally it'll be like action and he can cry like just like that and like actually when I did that film with Derek who's like the method director he and um, Michael clash a little bit because Michael doesn't need to do method stuff you know like and it's interesting watching directors and actors clash because they have different styles like yeah. No, but he's so charismatic on screen he yeah. must be just incredible yeah. to watch it was, going yeah. from normal to yeah, we on. did that trilogy together and it was like, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it, watching actors who can just... Mm. Switch it on. Yeah. Switch it on. Yeah. And you, it's almost like watching, mm. like a little transformation in front yeah. of your eyes. Apparently mm. Elizabeth Taylor had that. Right. Apparently. Yeah. So just in kind of conclusion, Adam, here we are sitting with a bunch of... <laughs> keen VCA students who will be going into the world, mm. maybe two pieces of advice would mm. you think have, do you think, that might be words of wisdom or ways of behaving? Or I mean, the best bit of advice I got, I think it was the guy's name who shot Chopper. He wasn't to me, but I heard that he told someone else, he said, um, bite off more than you can chew and then chew like fuck. <laughs> and I've always lived by that, like... Um, I did so many jobs early on and like I can remember rolling up on my first commercial shoot and um, driving past all the trucks and I, I don't know if I can clue what was in these trucks like, like the grip truck and the gaff truck and I was like I wouldn't have a clue what's in those trucks and I was supposed to like be calling for it all you know like yeah that bit of advice always stayed with me and I think for the for a large part, like even up to doing Assassin's Creed, like I'd never done something on that scale before. And a lot of people doubted if I could do it. Like they, they want to replace me. Like I'd already done one scout and then I was meant to do another scout. And there was another weird phone call where I was meant to leave the next day and they said, oh, don't worry about getting on the plane tomorrow. And I was like, oh, okay, must have been pushed back or something. But then Justin called me and he was like, oh, they're trying to move on from me. You know? but did like did Justin go into bat? Yeah, he did. He said he wouldn't do it without me, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, it was amazing. But, yeah, like, it, that was jumping in the deep end, you know, and, like, just, like... I can't believe that yeah. after I'd seen Macbeth. Mm. Like, well, really... you know what their one thing was? Like, all right, you can do it, but it cannot look like that. But you can't what? <laughs> it cannot look like that, because they saw oh, that... Oh, don't make it so red. Yeah. <laughs> they saw it as being too... Because um, God uh, knows you can't do anything but red. Mm. Yeah. Do you love being on set? I do, yeah. 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 
I think you can't be in this industry unless you love being on set. Yeah. And I, you know, like I went through here as a writer, director, and it wasn't until I was probably out for a year when I even considered being a cinematographer, because like... Are you blind? <laughs> Did you I not see your work? <laughs> well, I wanted to write and direct, you know, so yeah. I wanted to push on that. But then that's what I lent on, because I looked at my friends who were all like doing some good stuff, but generally not being on set. And I was working on their projects and some others, and I was on all the time, and that's what I love, see. So mm. I was like, oh, I should keep doing this. Yeah. <laughs> But I didn't know anything. I remember sitting in here and someone explaining that they filmed one shot and then they moved the camera and they filmed another shot and then they go together and I was like, wow, that's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there, unless there's anything else you wanted to add, Adam, then I say we've had a fantastic time with you and thank you so much for offering to come and talk to the students. Yeah, of course. And thank you. Okay, Adam Markapur, what a fella. I think sometimes cinematographers don't get nearly as much love. I'm, I'm, I'm a screenwriter and I always think that we never get enough love, but uh, I especially think that's true with cinematographers as well. They're such an important part of the process and when they're good, they're great artists. So I really hope you got something out of that. We will see you next week. Thank you.